and welcome back to Sprinkles of SEL with U2L, a podcast on social and emotional learning, wellness, neuroscience, and healthy habits for educators and anyone in the education space. I'm Lauren. And I'm Namratha. And we are your SEL team at United to Learn. Today's sprinkle of SEL is... It is on stress and the stress cycle. Ooh, that's timely, Namratha. I know, I <laughs> We're think in so. high stress season right now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so today's topic is going to answer the following questions. What is the stress cycle and how is it different from anxiety, which we have talked about before on our podcast? How do we de-stress? And more specifically, what are two tangible tools we can use to work through that? All right, let's dive in. So picture this. You just walked in the door and your child has practice in a half an hour. Your mind is racing about your spot observation that's taking place tomorrow, the fact that your students need to be better prepared to take the STAR test next week, and you just realize that you forgot to make enough copies for tomorrow's lesson, so you're already stressed about the fact that you have to get out of the door early tomorrow morning. Additionally, you promised the students who met their growth goals that you'd celebrate them with an ice cream sundae party tomorrow, which you have yet to pick up from the store. You find your son plopped on the couch, his school clothes still on, not dressed or ready for practice. When you ask him to get ready, he says he can't find his practice uniform. And then it hits you. Oh my God. Oh my God. I've totally forgot to move it from the washer to the dryer last night. How could I be so stupid? I should have known better. Note the negative self-talk, by the way. Just as you finish yelling at yourself internally, a text comes through from your significant other that says, quote, we need to talk, end quote. Sound familiar? Sound stressful? So we wanted to start off with this example first, just to sort of maybe get us into that frame of mind and recognizing that stress just can be brought on by so many different things, right? So hopefully, I don't want to ask, do you all feel stressed yet? But hopefully we're all understanding (laughs) (laughs) what that might come about and what that might feel. So what is stress though, right? We've talked about anxiety first and foremost, but we, we let's what's the difference between stress and anxiety? On this podcast before, we've classified anxiety as the emotion or experience we're going through, um, especially that's just sort of tilting us off balance and we're just uh, not sure how to react in a certain situation. And we're on, I do want to preface this also by saying that we're not talking about the um, diagnosable anxiety. And if you do think that you might be experiencing that as a um, mental health disorder, we encourage you to go talk to a mental health professional for that reason. But anxiety, as we're talking about it, is that emotion or experience. And the difference, how we want to classify that between anxiety and stress, is that stress is something then that is just triggered or brought on by this external event or situation or sometimes a person. (laughs) And it's this neurological and this physiological shift that occurs in our body. So Um, our body truly keeps the score of what we go through every day and we feel stress um, at a physiological level, especially when we are experiencing a perceived or or real threat. So what's happening in the body when we experience stress? Our sympathetic nervous system, and this is our fight fight or flight system, senses this threat. And this is a, a stressor in that sense, right? This is a factor that is activating the stress response in our system. 
And so our body is going into this fight or flight mode and it's getting ready to either fight that threat or flee from it. But either way, your system is becoming activated. So what's happening? Adrenaline, which is epinephrine or in cortisol, is being released from your adrenal adrenal glands. And this is causing our heart to beat faster, our glucose levels to rise, our respiratory rate is increasing, our blood vessels and our arms and legs are dilating just to prepare ourselves for this emergency. Wait, Namratha, are you saying that stress literally causes a physiological change in our brains? Exactly, Lauren. It is literally causing different things to happen in our body, in our systems. And it's not just something where I think we're so used to thinking of stress as just a mental level or an emotional level, but it's physiologically something is changing and something is is happening to us. So once this process is over, once we feel like that stress is done, our body is then returning to that homeostasis, its resting state, with the help from the parasympathetic nervous system. And this is our rest and digest system, basically. <laughs> and all is well at the end of the day, right? The threat is gone and we're all hopefully calm at the end of the day, but a little bit more tricky than that, right? Because what happens when our stressors continue to persist? And persist and persist and persist. You forgot to put the uniform in the dryer. You have to run to the store. You have to get your child to practice. Your significant other sends you a cryptic text like one hit after another. And you keep thinking about work. So when you're dealing with stress from just the first one or two events, and then events three, four, and five happen, you haven't completed your stress cycle from those first few events, right? And then you're already managing the next few things. So your body is being activated over and over and over again. And then we're experiencing that wear and tear in our system because it keeps on being activated. Like getting kicked when you're down, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, I can totally empathize and relate with my ability to poorly manage stressful events if I don't take care of what is preceding that. Um, And I... (laughs) I have loved ones in my life that call it spiraling. (laughs) (laughs) Heard that too. Yeah, (laughs) no, definitely. I think it's something we can all relate with, right? Like that moment of feeling completely overwhelmed and like it just never stops coming and you can't get through it. Um, So that brings us to our, our our next step is how do we address that stress, those different stressors, and how can we de-stress There's a great book that I'm going to reference called Stop Overthinking by Nick Trenton, and he states it simply, three steps to de-stress. One, gain conscious awareness of your thoughts and the process. Two, be proactive about stress management. And three, learn real techniques to ground and focus your thoughts. Name it to tame it, right, Namratha? Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> if you hear us say a few things repeatedly over the course of every single episode, it might be important. <laughs> you mentioned this last week as well. We're going to say yeah. it again. Name it to tame it. So Nick Trenton also states that the main goal in de-stressing is to pinpoint exactly what's going on in our heads when we overthink. So that brings us to triggers. What are, what are triggers? What are things that initially start that stressful event for you? And if you don't know, maybe take a moment to do some reflecting. I know for me, 
Um, I spent many years of my life not realizing the impact of mess, but one of mine is definitely mess. What about you, Namratha? Oh my gosh, where to begin? <laughs> For me, it actually goes back to what we spoke on last week, which is our locus of control. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's when I feel like things are not going in my way or they're out of my control. I definitely do feel that stress. And I think when it happens over a period of time, that stress builds up, right? So I can pinpoint moments of my life where there have been just many little things that I started feeling like I had no control over and they kept building up on each other. And then my stress levels kept rising. And so they, and yeah. And so that is, that's a, that's a definite big trigger. Just feeling like I can be in control. Definitely. Um, other things of mine that stress me out besides mess, even though I'm forever creating it <laughs> is being late. Um, I have terrible concept of time, <laughs> uh, not knowing all of the details. Uh, and sometimes this is kind of um, odd, I guess, if you will. Maybe it's not odd, actually, because I say it and other people are like, oh my God, me too. But sometimes even like parking lot directions or site locations stress me out. So if I don't know what the parking situation is, it I tend to like that is a trigger for me. And then it just goes from there. So in order to avoid that spiral, we need to really have strong awareness. Awareness is key. And more specifically, maintaining that awareness. Quote, awareness is not rumination, though, to both our inner and outer experience without judgment and without clinging or resist. So Trenton really explains that awareness is not rumination, meaning a negative uh, spiral of sticking you're sticking to something negative over and over and over, but rather I am being aware, kind of like a metacognition, right, Namratha? Like you're oh, really absolutely. thinking about how you're thinking, right? Um, he also says something along the lines of the best skill an overthinker can have is the ability to distinguish between awareness and anxiety. Two different things. Definitely. And so we have the ability to be aware without being anxious. And we have the ability to be aware of anxiety without being anxious. Your brain is smart, way smarter than we, I don't know, will ever find out or figure out. That's why neuroscience is constantly being studied. We're learning so much, but we can utilize our neuroplasticity and our metacognition to distinguish between the two. And how do you do that? How do you distinguish between awareness and anxiety, you ask? We must check in with ourselves. Okay. So let's revisit our example from the beginning of our episode. Stress and anxiety might come in different forms of, as it pertains to that, that situation, coming home from work, yelling at your child, throwing your phone, crying, having a panic attack, feeling completely hopeless and unable to make anything right. All you want to do is just jump in bed and hide under the covers until summer, all while asking yourself, like, why is this happening? Versus awareness might sound something like this. Okay, there's a lot going on right now, and I can feel multiple senses in my body changing. My heart is racing. I'm beginning to sweat, and I know I'm about to go down a ruminating spiral internally. So let me back up for a moment before I go there. 
I just want to point out here, to me, this sounds a lot of like just level setting, right? Mm. Similar to what we talked about last week with our circles of control, we're just level setting at the end of the day with totally. ourselves. Totally. And so what's the difference between those two reactions? Our ability to name and realize what is actually happening inside of our bodies versus just losing the ability to think clearly and going straight to hysteria, likely because of your flooded levels of cortisol or how your neurons have been conditioned to fire off. Because remember neurons that fire together? Wire together. (laughs) through trauma or other constant states of stress. And I know educators do live in a very stressful world. Um, And so I really challenge you, educators, to really take a moment to level set, as Namratha put it. Check in with yourself. Yeah. I also want to point out the other other thought I just had was this difference between awareness and, and anxiety, right? And managing the two. It's again, it's it's level setting. It's also just the difference between being able to act and react. Yes, absolutely. Totally. So because we agreed to keep this short, we're going to keep moving. Um, we know we can't rid ourselves of stress entirely. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to tackle some ways in which we can start to manage it more effectively within ourselves. So let's go through this first tool that we can use to help manage the stress. The first one is the four A's of stress management. This is originally developed by the Mayo Clinic, and it's used by experts worldwide to help us work through stress by tapping into these four techniques. Avoid, alter, accept, and adapt. So number one, avoid. We can avoid stress by walking away, setting boundaries. Ooh, or boundaries. Boundaries. <laughs> or planning ahead. So for example, right, grocery stores can be stressful and overwhelming. And oftentimes, the one thing I want to put in my cart I, that I walk into the store thinking <laughs> I end up walking out with 25 other items. And oftentimes, you are rushing and hungry and you impulse buy. You might divert from your budget and you come home with a bunch of all the unhealthy snacks instead of ingredients to make a meal. So now you've created more problems for yourselves. And we can avoid this by just doing simple things, right? We can schedule a grocery delivery or a grocery pickup, and it saves us time. So there's a few things that we can do just to, just to, to proactively manage that situation. My brain, my, I have a systems brain. My brain is like, okay, what system do I need to implement to avoid this stressor? Mm-hmm, exactly. So this isn't running away from our problems, but rather it's just finding a different way to move around them and work with them and through them. So not saying yes doesn't mean being mean. I really like that. (laughs) So number two, alter. We can alter the things in our lives that stress us out. So as Trenton puts it, you always have the option of asking others to change their behavior, which I don't think we realize typically. I think... Sometimes when we get to that point, we also just may not know how to verbalize that. And so we also want to be mindful of using our communication as a tool to help us accomplish this. Advocate for yourself respectfully and from a collaborative perspective. You don't need to suffer in silence and you can use I statements, right? You don't need to over explain yourself or your business to anybody if you don't feel like you have to. So we can alter things in our lives. If you can't avoid or alter the stressful situations, we can go to the third option, which is accepting it and finding peace. I wonder if this sounds a little similar to something we've talked about before. Accepting 
that something stresses you out doesn't mean that you aren't allowed to have some feelings about it. The mere fact of acknowledging that it's okay to feel that way and validating your emotions and owning that you are feeling them can help you come to that resolution with it. Again, right? Like name it to tame it a little bit, right? Yeah, for right? sure. Accepting it, naming it, acknowledging it in the first place is going to help you get to that next step of right. resolving and finding peace with that. Mm-hmm. So choosing to accept those things we cannot change for whatever reason helps our brain reframe how we think about them thus changing how much of our energy we expel on them accepting things doesn't mean you always have to agree with them you're just simply accepting the fact that it's happening and it may be out of your locus of control to change that so like earlier when your significant other sent you a text that cryptic (laughs) text that says we need to talk You could choose to say, accept that. Okay, he or she needs to talk. You can't change that. The the message has been sent. It's been received. It's been read. Why ruminate on it? How about accept that you're feeling sad or icky? Not great. But why not name it and tame it instead of letting it control your every move? Exactly. And that takes us into our last A, right? This long-term solution to adapt at the end of the day. We are adaptive creatures by nature, so sometimes we do have to adapt our views, our beliefs, our perceptions, our expectations. When we see a message like that, it's going to be, we might have some ugly emotions, but we can acknowledge that and move forward and adapt the way we want to react to that even. So Trenton says it best, adapting to stress means we can change ourselves to better cope with life. So an easy example of this might be to adapt your nighttime routine to include writing in your gratitude journal, which in return does have positive lasting effects that science has shown us. Maybe it's a mantra that you say to yourselves when you realize that you have been triggered by something. Awesome. Thanks for sharing the four A's, Namratha. We're going to dive right into another tool to add to your toolbox. You may be familiar with it. It's called the 54321 grounding technique. It's often used during a state of panic, um, but it can also just be used to help you work through your stress cycle to better handle life events with a rational state of mind. And so when you're in it and you are you are ready to yell at your child and the wash machine and your cell phone and the grocery store because golly, everything is going wrong tonight and I have a spot observation tomorrow, take a moment to try these five things. Number one. Find five things that you see. Could be your desk, your pink pen, the plant in the corner, your nail polish, and the coffee mug in front of you. Really challenge yourself to notice things deeply about them. Your coffee cup has an inked stain from your morning pour. The pink pen is a lovely shade of pink that brings you joy. The nail polish on your fingers are shiny except for the one on your pinky where it's chipped, etc. Really naming those simple things that you are seeing. Step two. Find four things around you that you can feel or touch. This could even be the grooves of your knuckles, the smooth cover of your notebook, a prickly carpet square next to your feet, or the silky curl of your hair. Step three, name three things you hear. For me, I could hear a soft whisper of a conversation down the hall. I could hear the keys on my keyboard clacking away. And I hear the low roar of the AC blasting. All simple, easy things I identify that I can hear around me. Step four, find two things to smell. Easy things. 
my new hair product, and the freshly brewed cup of coffee in my hand. And number five, finally, try to find one thing to taste. I could taste my lovely coffee I have in front of me, right? You can pop a mint in your mouth, find something to activate those senses. So using this whole five-step process to distract your brain and activate your senses is helpful. It allows your brain to avoid that rumination and stop you from going into a panic. The more you practice it, the better your brain gets because what, Namratha? Neurons that fire together. Wire together. (laughs) (laughs) And then it'll allow you to better be able to navigate an action plan for the items you do need to address that may otherwise seem intangible to tackle or too far stressful to even consider. Bonus, you can do this pretty much anywhere without anyone noticing. You can even teach your children to do this. All righty. So I think that's our time for today. But before we close out, let's just think a little bit of what our commitments are for this week. So for me, mine is a little bit about just reminding myself to bring joy into my work and just be excited and remember to be excited. So no matter what I'm doing, whether it's work or whether it's a conversation I'm having with somebody or what if I'm like watching a show after work, I just want to feel excited by that. I want to remind myself that this is a cool thing that I get to do in my life. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm reading a book called what the most successful people do before breakfast. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I'm, I've made the commitment to really stick to my bedtime. And every night, in order for me to have a successful next day, I really have to visualize what an effective morning plan looks like and make sure I'm setting myself up for success. So the science behind visualizing what you want it to look like, really thinking that through and being intentional especially for people like me who struggle with keeping time. Uh, It's important that I really kind of visualize how I want my morning to go, especially because science tells us that you are the most productive in the morning than any other time of the day. All right. Before we continue to sign off, we have some really exciting news. Very, very exciting. So exciting. (laughs) If I had a drum, I would be banging on it right now. (laughs) Um, We have a special announcement. We have a brand new SELE. Do you want to tell us who it is, Namratha? So Nick, our wonderful contractor from Pitchbend Media, has just had a new addition to the family. And so we are so excited (laughs) to welcome little baby Felix, uh, yes. Felix to the group. Not- totally excited for you and your family, Nick. Congratulations on dad being a dad. Welcome to the world of dads. As if I'm one, I'm not, I'm not a dad, but <laughs> welcome to the world of dads. And so happy for you and your wife and really, really, really excited to hear more and see your little guy grow. He's so cute. <laughs> so we already know what he's going to be listening to anyway. I mean, obviously he's an S. Yally. <laughs> So that's it for today. But before we wrap up, I need you to know, we see you. You are valued. People care about you. The world needs you. You're here for a reason. You're not alone. Your feelings are valid. You can do this. You have the power to be successful and you can pull through. So implement some strategies and know that we're here for you should you need anything. But other than that, until next time. 
See you later, Essieallies. Bye. And our newest and favorite Essieallie. <laughs> Bye. And last but not least, we'd like to thank Pitchbend Media for their sound design and music composition. <laughs>